Hi there, and welcome back to the Christopher Governator on the Campaign Trail Show. And tonight, we're going to be listening to Billy Carson, Stargates and Portals. It's Season 1, Episode 21, 1 hour, 50 minutes. And Billy Carson takes you on a tour around the world in our solar system to visit ancient stargates and portals, learn the mystery of multidimensional portals, and how to access them, Billy Carson delves deep into the science behind Stargate and portal travel, and how modern science may already be using this technology today. Billy Carson, the founder of Forbidden Knowledge, for as in the number Forbidden Knowledge Incorporated, is the best-selling author of Compendium of the Emerald Tablets, and is an expert host on Deep Space, a new original streaming series by Gaia. This series explores... The secret space program revealing extraordinary technologies and their potential origins. Billy Carson also serves as an expert host on Gaia's original series, Ancient Civilizations, in which a team of renowned scholars deciphers the riddles of our origins and pieces together our forgotten history documented in monuments and texts around the world. I should send him my uh, resume for that, Ancient Civilizations. Mr. Carson appreciates the dedication and hard work it takes to accomplish great things. Recently, Mr. Carson earned the Certificate of Science with an emphasis on neuroscience at MIT. Among his most notable achievements, Billy is the CEO of First Class Space Agency based in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Specifically, his space agency is involved in research and development of alternative propulsion systems and zero-point energy devices. Well, just be careful, Mr. Carson, because um, I can imagine some uh, white supremacists might have exception to that. Well, hopefully not. This guy's amazing. He's a genius. Let's watch. Godspeeds, Billy. <clears throat> anyway, I woke up this morning and this is, this uh, incredible speech was happening, so I wanted to Billy listen Carson. to the whole thing. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Well, thanks for coming out and staying this late, <laughs> and thank you to everybody that's been sharing the information. You know, so you sharing, you know, a few people sharing it on their social media. Thank you. Where is um, everybody? Wow, I came around the corner. I saw oh, the line. Shit. I was like, oh, yeah. And then it was for Bashar. Oh, it's 2020. I was like, it's okay. Conscious I Life Expo 2020. I love that guy. He's phenomenal. Um, yeah, I'll have to add channeling to my repertoire now. For the next 20 years, I'll be researching that. <laughs> but no, it's all good. It's all good. Oh, um, never heard I'm of just that. happy for the opportunity to even be here and talk to you guys and go over this information. Tonight we're going to talk about Stargates and Portals. It's first and um, row. some of you may have seen a little bit of this before as it may overlap. I mean, I've pandemic. seen some of your faces before. So there may be one or two, maybe three things that you see that may overlap something you saw before. But hopefully there's a lot of brand new content that you've never seen before that will be involved or will be included in this uh, presentation on Stargates and Portals. So without further ado, let's get this party started. Let's get this party started.
That's my alter ego. I always have to play that. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're going to talk about stargates and portals. All right, cool topic. Um, <laughs> For sure. I'm going to go into some science dealing with the Jed Pillar Ankh and what that's all about and what it is. Some of you may have seen some of it before, but I'm going to talk <laughs> about the science. A lot of you who have come to my lectures before know that I incorporate a lot of science into the things I talk about. And the reason why is because science is behind this stuff. It's not magic. Science is, is behind spirituality. And it's not that spirituality doesn't exist. It's just that science or quantum physics and quantum mechanics explains what's happening in the spiritual realm to a certain degree. There's some things that we still just still don't know yet. We're still all grown. We're babies. I'm learning just like everybody else here is learning. Matter of fact, sometimes I go back and watch my own presentation so I can learn for myself. I'm just I'm dead serious. There's some of the things that you know I go over, and you, even I have to hear it three, four, five, six, ten times to even grasp another level of understanding. You know, uh, so I'm pretty excited about it. Um, of course, I have my book, Compendium of the Emerald Tablets. I have a few left that if anybody wants amazing. to buy one at the end. Okay. I do. Great. I want to buy um, one. Holy shit. The only shit. few left uh, this weekend was crazy. Wow. I would walk around with a few and they'd be gone before I got back to the elevator. Uh, but it's still a bestseller, 10 months in a row. I want, and I want now it's copy. being converted into three different languages. I want a signed copy, Billy. Uh, German, French, and Spanish. And, um, Congrats. and Amazon is now doing all the fulfillment. They gave me a great deal. Because uh, I was just doing the fulfillment myself. They let me keep the same amount of revenue and they're fulfilling it. That's how good the book is for, to them in terms of their process of moving it. And um, they just asked me to send 3,000 more. So I guess right they're doing on. very well. Congratulations, Billy. You know? And um, I have 11 new books done. They're in editing right now. 11 more books. Yeah. 11. <laughs> so. The editor, uh, the publisher, um, Winter Wolf Publishing, uh, Laura Cantu, was like, you can't put 11 books out at one time. <laughs> I was like, why not? She's like, yeah, you just not? can't do it. It's not like music. You have to. So, okay, I'm going to release. My first one is going to be uh, coming out in about a month and a half. It's called Being Woke Doesn't Mean Being Broke. <laughs> and that's one I think this whole community needs to read ASAP. Okay. Because if you're around here talking about manifesting and downloading and all this stuff, and you can't manifest a light bill payment, then there's something wrong. You're not really operating in the law of attraction. You're not operating in power. You're not operating in any of the things you've been learning about. Okay, and that's why you know a lot of people won't listen to certain people. They're like, they look at the lifestyle, they see the debt, they see the issues and the problems, and they go, mm, I don't believe it. You know, you have to be believable, and to be believable, you got to show. You got to be the light that shows and shines and says, hey, it doesn't mean you got to be a billionaire, but are example. all your needs being met? On a time in a timely fashion. That's all we ask. When I need something to be taken care of, is it taken care of? Am I scrambling around every single month trying to figure out how I'm going to do this and how I'm going to do that and how I'm going to pay this? What if I want to go out and help a thousand people tomorrow? It's in my heart to do it. It's in everybody's heart to do it. But if you don't have the finances, guess what? You can't do it. Unfortunately, we live in a matrix system that operates on monetary uh, fake money, fiat money. But you have to see money it not as fiat money. Look at it as an people. energy exchange. Shift the way you think about it. Until we get out of it. Eventually, we'll get out of that system. But while we're in it, think of it as an energy exchange system. How can you exchange your energy for this to acquire that, to link it to you to do something else that you're looking to accomplish? And when you do that and shift your mindset, a lot of things will change for you. But I, I you know, I, I'm a world traveler. I've been around the world many times. I'm over here at the Great Pyramid, which is actually one of the <laughs> portals underneath the Great Pyramid. I'm standing inside the King's Chamber there. Um, 
the King's ah. Chamber is an amazing place. It's got the speed of light in meters per second in the Grand the Gallery. The, the longitude sneakers. of the Grand Gallery is the speed of light by meters per second. And people say, well, meters per second just got meters, uh, metric system just got discovered, right? No. The metric system is ancient. They discovered in uh, South America, uh, they discovered proto-Sumerian uh, tablets with cuneiform writing on them and little bowls with cuneiform writing on them. And they had the what? The metric system as well. And that's well documented now. I mean, it's been, this has been, I don't even, it's been in the record so long that I can't believe that people still don't okay. understand that the metric system is not brand new. Most likely the guy who, would, who, who rediscovered it, he may have looked up these tablets <laughs> because it's all laid out right there. And Wikipedia isn't my greatest source of information, but it's even on Wikipedia, which they try to hide everything. So it's crazy. Here I am here at the uh, Temple of Abydos pointing up about 50 meters above me is this technology. But the technology isn't just here. So some people say, oh, it's been debunked because they said they recarved these hieroglyphs and they ended up looking like technology. No. These well, are the famous, uh, this is the famous, um, what do you call it, uh, freeze where there's uh, a helicopter and a submarine and an airplane. Explain why it's the same exact way all throughout Egypt. And some of the people who go on my Egypt tour will see Abydos. as we go and look at these hieroglyphs that they're everywhere. You know, they're everywhere. I'm at the top of Ole Tutambo. Um, uh, this is in Peru. Uh, there's blocks up here that came from another mountain, uh, which is, I mean, to get them from the top of one mountain and bring them over to this mountain, uh, they could tell by the sediment, is just an amazing feat. How they did it, nobody can tell. But the homegrown Magic. guides will tell you that it was the gods that brought the stones there. You know, you get the same story no matter where you go in the world. They always blame it on the gods. The gods brought the stuff here. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, it's, that's the answer. They never say that we did it. The only time you hear that something, somebody say that, you know, humans did it is on the mainstream archaeology stuff and the stuff on mainstream TV. And, you know, they're trying. I saw one this morning. Uh, they were walking one of the Easter Island heads down this road. Well, the Easter Islands are not just heads. That was a broken Easter Island statue. The Easter Island have deep bodies that go way down a few meters underground. And you're not walking that thing with some simple ropes, right? So it's just, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, whoever's behind the scenes pulling these strings and make people uh, put this stuff on TV, you know, it's just really crazy. But Machu Picchu is an amazing place. I've been there. Um, I'm going to go back again and uh, take a few people with me. This is my guide here. There's still gold behind these giant stones right there. What, what, the one I'm standing in front of is gold back there. It's being guarded by the military. Uh, ancient gold. Uh, it's just amazing. The stuff is still there. Surprised it hasn't uh, been stolen of course, by the military. Dinosaurs walk with man. So you can see it's got bone, it's got meat on its bones. I mean, they knew what it looked like. And these dinosaurs <laughs> can be found all over the world. Go back to Tepe now, one of the oldest sites known to be. Uh, see this. Wonder if I can uh, kind of zoom in or something. See, like these uh... 
kind of partially dug out, and um, and that's uh, about thirteen thousand years old, around the time of the last the, the, you know the last ice age. But you can find them even in Lake Michigan. There's a Stonehenge underneath Lake Michigan that was discovered about three or four years ago. And in that Stonehenge, it has these pillars, just like Obexli Tepe, just like Stonehenge in, you know, Avebury, UK. But it's got etched and carved into it dinosaurs and mastodons, you know, and that's that's really an amazing discovery. Here I am at Akrotiri, Greece, uh, in uh, on the island of Santorini. And I was on this dig site. It's about a four-mile dig site, only about 10% uncovered so far. A lot of technology there. I did a huge article on this. It's on ForbiddenKnowledge.com. And the blog page, uh, there's a lot of photos. Can You're going to see that piping that looks like PVC piping that we use right now today. You're going to see stones that, that are maybe uh, two meters thick that have a tiny little hole from one end. They go straight through to the other side. Can't do that with a chicken bone, sorry. And flushing toilets that work from the second story on down and flush away even the scent and the smell away from the house. Sucks it out with suction. <laughs> And I don't think we have that nowadays. We need to we need to reclaim that technology. But it's an amazing site, and um, uh, it's it, it's they claim that it's part of the ancient Atlantean culture, which is really amazing. Here I am at um, Teotihuacan in Mexico. I'm standing on top of the pyramid of the moon, which is actually eight pyramids in one. So this pyramid was built by Thoth the Atlantean, and it was dedicated to his wife, and his wife was a human. And um, so it's, it's eight pyramids stacked on top of each other. Battery low. You can get to this one more level above it, but they don't let you get to that level, only to this where I'm at, just one level below. And behind the Pyramid of the Sun. The Pyramid of the Sun is exactly 50% the height of the Great Pyramid of Giza, and the base is exactly the same. The alignment of the three pyramids that are here in this grid are the same alignment of the Great Pyramids of Giza, which align with the Orion star cluster. And here I am in Kukulkan, uh, Pyramid of Kukulkan in uh, Chichen Itza in the Yucatan Peninsula. So we'll get this thing started. This is uh, a little video that I did. I'm walking through a portal. This is actually a music video that was on MTV, just a beginning clip of it. The song is called Anunnaki by Donnie Arcade. <laughs> this is a classic. Look at his watch. Regular stones. So this is how I envisioned it back in the day. Just walk right through a portal and get to your destination. So, pretty cool. Well, you can watch the whole video on uh, YouTube. It's free. Anunnaki by Donnie Arcade. D-O-N-N-Y. Donnie Arcade. Let's right. talk about DNA for a second. So now, when I started researching these portals and stargates, I started finding something very similar between all of the ancient records and the history and the, the hearsay about them and some of the indigenous information about the portals, is that only specific people were able to walk through the portals. It wasn't just like anybody can just walk through the portal. And it had a lot to do with DNA. It had a lot to do with frequency, atomic structure, and keys, okay, and codes. So this is what we're getting ready to get into. What is the atomic structure about? What is the DNA about? What are the keys and the codes? 
So yesterday and in my talk, or Saturday, I think it was in my talk, we talked a little bit about the storage capability of DNA, how DNA stores memories and information. So I showed one particular video where uh, these scientists replicated their ebook 80 billion times on one gram of DNA. DNA stores digital bits of zeros and ones data. Hardcore, the same data that's on this computer that makes this show up on the screen is the same exact data that your DNA can store. It can upload and download, not only through a hard connection, but also wirelessly as well. Uh, now, hmm. this is something similar. Let's look at what's going on here at the uh, WIS Institute, because they actually are working with Harvard and have come up with a DNA uh, hard drive, one of the very first DNA hard drives. This hmm. is important to understand the science behind this, because when we get into the jet filler onk, you're going to see what I'm talking about. It's directly linked to how DNA can store information. Storing digital information so the research is about alternative ways of storing data, digital data, for archival sure. purposes sure. with DNA. The initial thought was, you know, I don't care what I'm building, and so why don't we just build Moby Dick or something? Um, I'll just encode it into DNA, and we'll just build that, because I don't want to worry about the design at this point in time. Shri and I debated what we should encode, what would nicely represent the digital universe. And we wanted something that represented sort of modern digital. So we used the HTML version of a book that I, that, that, that I wrote recently called Regenesis. The HTML form, let's say the web form, includes uh, um, images, it, digital images. It includes uh, JavaScript programming language that actually does perform something interactively with the, with the person. And so we encoded that into zeros and ones and then into, into DNA. We started thinking about, um, based on some prior work, of thinking about DNA as a source of information storage. Because one, it, it is very, uh, it's very long-lasting. You can recover DNA over thousands of years. And second, uh, it's a very dense store, storage information source. Most non-DNA methods store uh, on a plane. Well, DNA can be stored in a volume. Um, uh, the density is is remarkably high, as little as uh, uh, one bit per base, one base per cubic nanometer. Uh, and uh, so we can store on the order of almost a zettabyte in a gram of DNA, a milliliter uh, uh, volume. The theoretical density of a DNA is that you could store the total world's information, which is 1.8 zettabytes, at least in 2011, in about four grams of DNA. And it leverages uh, rapidly improving next generation reading and writing of DNA. So the important thing about this is what is stopping us right now from being successful with teleportation and all these other technologies that we want to be able to do. Teleportation is where you take somebody from point A and you literally take their atoms apart and you beam the atoms to another location and reassemble those atoms in the same exact order, right? So you have a person like Beam Me Up Scotty on some, from Star Trek. Well, the biggest problem with that is not that we don't know how to do it. We know how to do teleportation. We've done teleportation now for at least 10 years. We've been teleporting individual particles. Now we actually are able to teleport molecules. So we're teleporting, I think it was maybe five months ago, we teleported some molecules from Earth to the ISS, the International Space Station. That's a big feat. But the amount of memory it takes is significant. Now, with DNA hard drives, that's all gone. Because one human body can store 13.5 billion years of data, the same age as the universe. Okay? So all that storage capacity is in your body. 
So the human body truly is a biological avatar that is already set up as a gigantic USB hard drive, <laughs> literally. <laughs> and because of that, you can upload and download information into the body. So now the human body avatar can be integrated into other technologies. So it becomes a piece of the technology that it's linking with almost like a module. Okay. So instead of having to have uh, a portable uh, hard drive to go and connect to this Stargate somewhere, these ancients were utilizing the hard drive in their bodies to be able to upload and download themselves from place to place. And the storage capacity is immense. One drop on the tip of your finger is 433 petabytes. That's an enormous amount of data. With that, at that rate, a hard drive the size of your cell phone can store all the information on in its, its entire solar system. Forget the Earth. The solar system can be stored on your phone. Everything. It's an amazing amount of storage capacity, and that's in your body. And along with that are your epigenetic memories. So you have about 15 to 18 years of epigenetic memories in there, and that is the memories from your uh, your ancestors. Mm -hmm. um, how do you explain the Akashic Record phenomena with memory storage in a vocabulary? Well, the Akashic Records is a real, first of all. Uh, good question. He's asking about the Akashic Records. So when I talked about Saturday, the fact that every single thought that you think, including right now as we're sitting here, it gets sent through the skull in the form of an electromagnetic wave, which is a wave of light. So every thought you think is a light wave. Those light waves move on into space-time permanently forever through eternity. So everything that ever, every thought that ever existed, every idea, every concept that ever existed is already in space-time. And most likely, you don't really get an original idea most of the time. Probably 90% of the time, you download ideas that already exist. So the Akashic Records are the storage medium in this etherical grid that store all this light data, this electromagnetic wave data. And just like um, before he died, Stephen Hawking, he reversed his original theory on black holes, thinking that black holes uh, were eternal and that anything that fell in was destroyed. Later on, before he died, he realized that black holes were not eternal. They radiate out and dissipate after trillions of years, sometimes billions of years, depending on the size. But that anything that goes into the black hole the information is never lost. It's transferred to the event horizon and stored there permanently as data. So, I mean, we go back to the same old thing, second law of thermodynamics. So energy and information can't be destroyed. It can only be transformed. And because of that, all information is already contained in space-time, which means the Akashic records are real, which means that the person that taps into them is tapping into the etherical grid, this grid that we're all connected to and plugged into, that is all the data, all the information, that is really the thing that connects all of us and the illusion of separation that we have because we've coalesced into this avatar body under a slower vibration is really just an illusion. We're really still all one. We're all one entity. We're just like if you took this, this flat panel here and just imagine little things popping up out of it. Those are us. Each one of those is a different person, but we're still part of this same flat panel. It's just all it is. And you're just another version of me and I'm just another version of you. You know, the ancients have a term, in lakek alakin, and uh, I am just another you. That's really what it means. It, the ancients knew about all this stuff. I mean, we're just now just trying to catch up. You know, we're holding on for dear life. <laughs> you know, we're really trying to catch up. Uh, I remember a few years ago when the storage medium on one gram of DNA was 5.5 petabits. 
700 terabytes. Now they've upped it to 433 petabytes. We're moving, we're moving fast. Now Microsoft last year created the first DNA hard drive. So now everything is going to take off like lightning. And then you now we're going to have the uh, the quantum computers, which we're going to talk about today, because that's also very important for Stargates, the ability to have quibits and what a quibit is and how it works and why it works and how it integrates into Stargates. This is really technology. The Stargate stuff is not just like hocus pocus. Somebody's waving a wand and this thing opens up. It's real hardcore, advanced, super advanced technology. And it's something that we're trying to, you know, acquire ourselves right now, us being the military-industrial complex. We are producing a lot more data than we're capable of storing today. We think that to put a dent on the problem, uh, we need a radical new solution. And so we're looking at DNA as one such solution. And one of the reasons that we're, we're using DNA is its density is, is orders of magnitude higher than anything that exists today. It's reliability and resiliency, and then it is, has relevancy. We think that as long as there are humans alive, we'll care about reading our own DNA. And that means that we'll have a storage format that will be with us that will always be relevant. We have been working on using DNA for data storage for several years now, and but the process so far has been incredibly manual. There literally people moving around with pipettes in their hands. So the only way we're going to make DNA data storage scale up to be usable and be, you know, go mainstream is by automating it. And what we've done with this, with the project that you're going to learn more about now is showing that it's possible to automate the entire process from bits to molecules and back to, to bits. The writing process takes your data file uh, and encodes those ones and zeros into ACs, Ts, and Gs. Uh, those ACs, Ts, and Gs are actually what gets sent to the device itself. Looking at the matrix right Every now, base real, that flows into the, the real column matrix. incorporates itself onto a strand of DNA. So once all the DNA bases have been incorporated into the strands on the column, the strands need to be removed from the column. So we pump a chemical mixture into the column, which frees them from their solid support and pushes them into a liquid storage bottle. So once we decide to read the data off the DNA, the read master mix is applied to the DNA storage pool. That master mix prepares the DNA to be read. Now that the DNA is readable, it gets pumped into the read device where it gets translated into ACs, Ts, and Gs sequences that the computer can understand. Those sequences then get decoded back into ones and zeros. And I think the other thing that's interesting to realize about this result, too, is that this might be pointing to a new kind of computer system that has an electronic component and a molecular component. So you use molecules for what they're good at, use electronics for what they're good at, and then you integrate them and show that it's actually possible to build a system that has dry electronics, wet molecules, and they together do something amazing. Okay, the next level is the atomic level and this is important when you're talking about stargates and portals so scientists discovered that they can now write data directly onto each individual atom okay so as you know we have billions of atoms that make up a human body avatar imagine writing data onto each individual atom so when you're talking about these beings being extremely advanced and being able to live all these years and knowing all this information, imagine if you were able to transmit information directly onto each atom in your body and you're walking around with, you know, 100 trillion zettabytes of data 
that you have access to at any given time, your own internal internet. So when anybody asks you a question, the answer is instantaneously given because you're that you're pretty much uploading it from your atoms directly into your consciousness and spitting it out. You would appear to be a god. You're gonna appear to you're gonna appear to be uh, alpha and omega. I know everything and I'm everywhere and I know it. There's nothing I can't answer. And it's all based on technology. And this type of technology is happening already. We're already now with a um, the experiment mimics the way magnetic disk of a hard drive works. The tiny magnets on those disks point either up and down, and the orientation conveys binary information. So basically what they do is they use a magnetic field on an atom. And they, when they apply a magnetic field to it, they get the atom to spin up or spin down. How do you create zeros and ones? Spin up and spin down. So when you get a spin up as a one, a spin down as a zero. So you spin down, 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 that's zero, zero, zero. Up, up, up is one, one, one. Now between that, you can make computer code. And that computer code can be transferred into a computer and read, just like you're reading a book. And now you have software programming coming out of atoms. So you can write data directly onto atoms by this method of magnetism with a needle that's smaller than the width of the atom itself. And then you can write data onto atom and store it there. Amazing stuff. And don't forget one important piece that was said by the one of the scientists in the previous video. He said the DNA can be accessible for millions of years. Wow. That's important when we get further down into this. Now let's talk about quantum computing because these stargates and portals, in my opinion, run off of some type of quantum-based computer. bits, which can be either zero or one. Now, in contrast, a quantum computer uses quantum bits, or qubits, and they can be both zero and one at the same time. And it is this that gives a quantum computer its superior computing power. There are a number of physical objects that can be used as a qubit, a single photon, a nucleus, or an electron. I met up with researchers who are using the outermost electron in phosphorus as a qubit. But how does that work? Well, all electrons have magnetic fields, so they're basically like tiny bar magnets. And this property is called spin. If you place them in a magnetic field, they will align with that field, just like a compass needle lines up with the magnetic field of the Earth. Now, this is the lowest energy state, so you could call it the zero state, or we call it, for the electron, spin down. Now, you can put it in a one state or spin up, but that takes some energy. If you took out the glass from your compass, you could turn the needle the other way, but you would have to apply some force to it. You have to push it to flip to the other side. And that is the highest energy state. In principle, if you were so delicate to really put it exactly against the magnetic field, it would stay there. Now, so far, this is basically just like a classical bit. It's got two states, spin up and spin down, which are like the classical one and zero. But the funny thing about quantum objects is that they can be in both states at once. Now, when you measure the spin, it will be either up or down. But before you measure it, the electron can exist in what's called a quantum superposition, where these coefficients indicate the relative probability of finding the electron in one state or the other. Now, it's hard to imagine how this enables the incredible computing power of quantum computers without considering two interacting quantum bits. Hello. Hi. Now there are four possible states of these two electrons. You could think that, well, that's just like two bits of a classical computer, right? If you have two bits, you can write 0, 0, 0, 1, 1, 0, 1, 1, right? There's four numbers. But these are still just two bits of information. 
right? All I need to say to determine which one of the four numbers you have in your computer code is the value of the first bit and the value of the second bit. Here instead, quantum mechanics allows me to make superposition of each one of these four states. So I can write a quantum mechanical state, which is perfectly legitimate, that is some coefficient times this, plus some coefficient times that, plus some coefficient times that, plus some coefficient. So to determine the state of this two-spin system, I need to give you four numbers, four coefficients. Whereas in the classical example of the two bits, I only need to give you two bits. So this is how you understand why two qubits actually contain four bits of information. I need to give you four numbers to tell you the state of this system. Whereas here, I only need two. Now, if we make three spins, we would have eight different states. I need to give you eight different numbers to define the state of those three spins. Whereas classically, it's just three bits. If you keep going, what you'll find is that the amount of equivalent classical information contained by n qubits is 2 to the power n classical bits. And of course, the power of exponentials tells you that once you have, let's say, 300 of those qubits, in what we call the fully entangled state. So you must be able to create these really crazy states where there is a superposition of all three unders being one way and another way and another way and so on. Then you have like two to the 300 classical bits, which is as many particles as there are in the universe. But there's a catch. Although so the rest of it kind of just ends right there pretty much. But this is important to understand because you need to be entangled, number one. So we're going to talk about quantum entanglement. When you have that many particles quantum entangled, which we're going to find out in a minute if you don't know what that means, and then you have the superpositions uh, of all these different uh, states, now you have the capability of creating uh, wormholes, stable portals to get anywhere you want because you have the coding needed to make it happen. If you have the coordinates to these particular um, superpositions, it can be a superposition that takes even to a different dimension. It doesn't even have to be uh, another third dimensional uh, location. It could be a multi-dimensional location because when you go into superposition, all states exist at once, especially if you can get to n, uh, to that power of n 200 uh, bits. So it's really, um, it's really powerful and it's really important to understand that in my opinion, after researching these stargates and researching technology, how we're working it right now, they have incorporated a quantum computing system in uh, collusion with uh, this ability to integrate this DNA storage capacity using the DNA of the person walking through as the storage information. Because remember, when you walk through a portal, the information has to be stored. Every single spin rate, every single atom, every location of it, and the X, Y, Z axis has to be stored and maintained. Otherwise, when you, come, you won't come out on the other end in one piece. Same thing with teleportation. In teleportation, when you know, beam me up, Scotty. Well, in teleportation, when we do it even now, and this has been known for a long time, the person that started off at point A dies. Okay, so the person that ends up at the teleported point, the destination is a copy, a facsimile. Okay, so in teleportation, 
the first thing, whatever it is, if it's a particle, if it's a, if it's a, a animal, an insect, a human being, whatever it is, it's destroyed. It, it must be destroyed at point A. Point B is a copy. So this is the big thing. And but how do you get your consciousness back? How do you get? It's all about storage capacity. With the storage capacity, anything is possible. Without it, you don't come out on the other side. Okay. So right now. We're just doing molecules, but now with the DNA hard drive and with quantum computing, you're going to see uh, us teleporting inanimate objects within the next five years to the space station and other places. And then you're going to see eventually uh, uh, small organic compounds. And then once you're satisfied with the organic compounds after a little bit of time, then you're going to see small, unfortunately, you know, they always go to the animals. So they're going to go to animals. They're going to use animals, probably mice and so forth, right? And then eventually human beings uh that's going to happen eventually at some point but unfortunately the animals you know <laughs> they get the worst they always get experimented on i feel bad for them now we talk about quantum entanglement some of you have seen this before before we go into the quasi crystal video quantum entanglement is very important because quantum entanglement has to do with something called parabolic down conversion so in parabolic down conversions when you take a laser and you use that laser to phase shift two particles, in this case, maybe electrons, to the same frequency. And once you get them entangled within that, within that, that electromagnetic frequency, you can take one particle to the other end of the universe if you had the capability to do it. And whatever you change in the particle uh, local to you, the other one will change instantaneously. So it always happens the opposite. So the one local to you, if you put it into a spin up position, the one that's, it could be 10 billion light years away, it'll spin down. If you change it to a spin down, that one will spin up. And by that method, you can transfer information back and forth. So with my tech company, if you didn't know, I own a tech company called First Class Space Agency. And I'm doing a white paper right now on a quantum entangled um, uh, deep space communications ray. And it's all based off of crystal technology and quantum entanglement. So right now, if uh, let's just say we already know that within the next 10 years, we'll be traveling out to the planets. We're going out to Jupiter. We're, we're going out to Saturn. 15 years, maybe tops. As a, you know, a Virgin Galactic is really working on this. He's got the two-way plane. He's already done some successful tests into space. Uh, so what happens, though, you're out that far. It takes you a long time to get there. Now you're out that far. You want to send a signal back to Earth, a message back to Earth, back to Space Command, whatever. And it's going to take 30 days, you know. Then you got to get a response to get back another 30 days to get the response back. That's at the speed of light. So that's a big problem. If you need help, assistance, or whatever, information traveling that slow is a big problem. How do you fix that problem? So you send out in advance. You send out probes in advance into space, into deep space. And they are then connected to this communications array. They'll be very far apart, but it'll still be connected a lot quicker than sending a signal to Earth. And inside of those, before they take off, there'll be crystals and a quantum entanglement with the home base crystal, okay, for communications. Those will then be the where you send your message to. So if you're out there by Jupiter, you send a message to the communications array. The communications array, the only delay you have now is whatever it takes to get from your ship to the communications array, which could be a matter of minutes or a few hours. Once it gets to the array, it's transmitted to Earth instantaneously, bypassing the speed of light without breaking the theory of relativity. And when it gets, what happens is it's just a matter of spin-ups and spin-downs, and which is decoded at the home base on Earth, and the message spits out of a computer instantaneously. Hey, we're out here. We need more supplies or whatever. We ran out of, uh, you know, we ran out of fuel. I mean, whatever it is, or we're safe and we're okay. 
But so you do a deep space quantum entangled communications ray, and now you can send a subspace frequency instantaneously and communicate without having to worry about waiting months and months and months for a response. Uh, so quantum entanglement is very powerful. This is a one minute and 48 second video. Uh, some of you may have seen it before, but it's very important to understand what this means. Great granddaddy of wacky quantum weirdness is entanglement. If time reversal symmetry destroys the notion of time, then entanglement crushes our experience of space. Two objects, two electrons created together, are entangled. Send one to the other side of the universe. Now, do something to one, and the other responds instantly. Instantly. So, either information is traveling infinitely fast, or, in reality, they are still connected. They are entangled. And, since everything was entangled at the moment of the Big Bang, that means... Everything is still touching. Space is just the construct that gives the illusion that there are separate objects. Are we far enough down the rabbit hole yet? Okay, so so everything is still touching, right? So electrons are also intelligent, as we learned the other day in my previous class. And electrons have the capability of making decisions, conscious decisions. Everything is conscious. So we looked at the double slit experiment, and in, in the double slit experiment, we sent electrons through two little microscopic slits to see what it would do when it hit the back wall. Would it create a digital pattern or a wave on the back wall? Well, what happened was when we weren't looking, it created a wave pattern on the back wall, which means that the electrons became electromagnetic waves and operated as a wave function and not digital bits of data. When we looked at it, when we put a looking device there to see it go through the slits, the electrons decided to change back to a digital pattern. So the prospect of observing, conscious observation of electrons changed the way they behave. They decided to do something different based off of conscious intervention. So by that method, we see how consciousness interacts with the subatomic world to help create our own reality. We are actually co-creators in this reality and on top of that, based on what we just saw, we know now know that all particles are still connected, which means that nothing is separate. We're connected. Separation is an illusion, which I was talking about earlier. It's all an illusion. We're all on the same grid, and we're all connected. We appear to be separate, and we're still 99.999% empty space. There's 7.5 billion people on Earth, and I took away all the empty space and all the atoms of all the people, I can fit everyone into one sugar cube, all people. So we're not even here, okay? <laughs> now, what creates this third dimension? We know we're connected. We know that information can be stored inside the human body for the purpose of transmitting ourselves to other realms. We know that quantum computers can handle that programming and that, that trajectory to get us to these different superpositions. Now let's talk about what is the shadow that creates the third dimension. The third dimension is a shadow of a higher dimension. So let's talk about that for a second. Also has a pattern, but it isn't periodic. So it's not a crystal. But there's a deep connection between the 2D object on the sand and the 3D mother crystal. 
This distorted 2D pattern is called a quasi-crystal. A quasi-crystal in a certain dimension, in this case 2D, is a projection of a crystal in a higher dimension, in this case 3D. A group of physicists in Los Angeles is working on a new physics theory for a particular 8D crystal. Yep, that's right. An eight-dimensional crystal is projected to 4D at a very particular angle, which forms a 4D quasi-crystal. And from this 4D quasi-crystal, they derive a 3D quasi-crystal, which they believe is the fundamental substructure of all of reality. So we see, has a hopefully you see where we're going with this. Now let's unpack a tesseract because a tesseract is very important part of the ancient history in my opinion it's what was involved or what was inside of the ark of the covenant a fourth dimensional cube and we're going to talk a little bit about the fourth dimensional cube because uh, it's a cube of unparalleled power and it gives you the access to the past present and future and any location you want to be in all at the same time so this is something that's encapsulated in something called Metatron's Cube, if you've ever heard of that. That's inside the Flower of Life. So let's take a quick peek at this. We're unpacking a four-dimensional space. 528 DNA. By the way, that's my first song ever produced. <laughs> cube into three-dimensional space you get a cross <laughs> the cross is the same cross as the Templars cross and some other crosses that you're gonna see another and very um, important uh, sign that you're gonna see in a little bit but you get a cross when you unpack a fourth dimensional cube which is Metatron's cube which is considered by the ancients to be an archangel okay Michael the archangel I'm just saying <laughs> Everything from the ancient times, when you listen to it and you compare it then to a modern-day understanding of science, physics, and technology, you begin to see how they were using words and terminologies to the best of their ability to explain the things that we're now explaining or showing out to be technology or science, okay? But think about a fourth-dimensional cube. Who here saw uh, Interstellar? Okay. So he got into a tesseract on his way back when the ship was going through that weird space, right? He came out of the ship. He didn't die. He ended up inside of a tesseract. He ended up inside of this. This is what he was inside of, a fourth dimensional cube that was unpacked. And then he was able to see the past, present, and future all at once. And how can that be? How can you see the past, present, and future at once? Well, just think about it from our perspective. If you are looking at a one-dimensional object, which is a line on a piece of paper, you being from the third dimension can see the line, look at it, look at the front of it, look at the back of it. If you uh, draw a two-dimensional object on a 
piece of paper like a house or even use a computer to do it. Okay, that's still two dimensional, even though it may appear to be three, it's only two. You can see in the house, you can see the back of the house, you can look in the rooms, the closets, the bathroom, everything, right? There's no privacy. You're in the third dimension. You control, you dominate the second dimension. And the second dimension and the first dimension has no idea you even exist. Okay? Now imagine being in the fourth dimension. You're in a tesseract. You're able to see the past, present, and future all at once. You're able to dominate the third dimension. We wouldn't even know if a fourth dimensional being was walking on stage with me right now. We couldn't perceive that fourth dimensional being from our perspective, right? Now, imagine that uh, this whole hotel is space-time. Now, imagine yourself in this room, in the other room you went to earlier, in another room you went to earlier, another room you went to earlier, all at the same time. But in reality, you were there in different times. So a fourth dimensional being would see you in every single one of those conferences that you were at, you went lectures you went to today, all at once. And you'd be a little bit younger in this one, a little bit older in this one, because time has passed in the third dimension. But a fourth dimensional being would be able to see that. Fifth dimension, sixth dimension, all the way on up. Every dimension you go up, you dominate over the, the smaller the, the, or the younger or the lower dimensions. Okay. And according to quantum physics, there's 11 dimensions that make up this entire universe. According to theoretical physicists, without 11 dimensions, this universe would collapse. Maybe that has something to do with the power of 11. I mean, you know, we, we see it all the time, right? That 11, 11, but maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe we're in synchronicity with the universal consciousness, and that's why we're seeing 11s all the time. But 11 dimensions is what we're talking about. So according to the ancients, ascended masters would ascend to the 11th dimension. I mean, <laughs> so you go to the ancient history and you come to the modern history, and Michio Kaku is saying the same thing that these ancient sages were saying thousands of years ago. It's really amazing. And then we have the Merkaba, okay, which we talk about in the mystery school. So we're going to talk a little bit about the Merkaba today. The Merkaba is another method used by the ancients for travel. They would travel in a counter-rotating tetrahedron, which is two pyramids, you know, one top, one on the bottom, that would counter-rotate. It's like a light vessel. So they would actually be able to uh, go into a specific type of meditation, and get into this light vehicle and travel throughout the universe, some with the physical body and some only with consciousness. So in my book, Thoth the Atlantean, he talks about the capability of getting into this light vehicle and he would travel the world, uh, the universe. He actually says he's, he went to uh, many worlds and he watched civilizations rise and fall. How can you watch many civilizations rise and fall, okay, without aging? Mind is outside of space, mind is outside of time. So what may have been thousands of years for one civilization, or maybe even tens of thousands of years, could have only been just a few moments for Thoth in that particular mind state, because mind is outside of space-time. When I studied um, uh, remote viewing with Major Ed Dames, if you don't know who that is, look up Project Stargate. He's the guy who taught me in remote viewing. And uh, in remote viewing, you discover quickly how, how good mind is outside of time and space. You get a target in remote viewing. And remote viewing is when you take your mind to a target to find a target and bring back intel on that target. Uh, so the first test that I had, you know, the target is just a number. Now, I had no idea what the target was going to be, where it was, if it was even on Earth. It was just a number. They give you a number. They know what the target is. You just get a number. And with that number, you have to go through this particular process of this awaken, half-sleep meditation when you really, uh, it's, um, it's almost like an Edgar Casey type thing, but not as deep as Edgar Casey got. 
in terms of his wake, his wakefulness. You were a little bit more awake because you have to stop and write information down. But what's really amazing is on my very first test, I drew this big, you know, oblong kind of a circle with this squiggly line coming off the bottom. And when they sent me my results, it was a, a, a hot air balloon with the rope coming down to the ground. And so based on that is why he decided he wanted to, you know, be my trainer. So remote viewing is real. And it's what I use to find a lot of anomalies on Mars when I go to the space data. Instead of spending hours upon hours upon hours, which I used to do with a magnifying glass going centimeter by centimeter, I started remote viewing images. So I would take the target number. The target number would be whatever the NASA image number would be or the uh, uh, Caltech number for the image or the European Space Agency number for the image. And then from there, I would do remote viewing and I would search for anomalies based on those targets. And then I would go to the image and I would go almost directly to each anomaly that I wanted to find and I would then catalog them into the database. So we'll talk about that and we'll show some of those space anomalies uh, tonight. So the Tesseract, okay? Hollywood has hit the Tesseract in plain sight. The Tesseract is the fourth dimensional cube that we just talked about. It's been called the Cosmic Cube, the Hypercube. It appeared in Avengers Affinity War, Captain America, the first Avenger, A Wrinkle in Time, Iron Man 2, X-Men, The Matrix, Thor, The Avengers, Interstellar, The Dark World Prelude, uh, Transformers, and they even called one of the characters Megatron after Metatron, you know what I mean? Uh, they always try to hide the truth in plain sight. Um, then you have the Tesseract, more recently debuted in A Wrinkle in Time, also known as the Cosmic Cube, but that's the one that Oprah Winfrey was involved in. It's an enchanted object of unparalleled power. Metatron was originally a human elevated to archangel by the god, this is according to the ancients, for his services as a scribe, foremost communicated between humans and the divine. He is best known for his, for his cube. To understand the meaning of sacred geometry symbols, Metatron's cube is based on a deceptively simple pattern called the fruit of life. 13 connected circles, which is in a concentrated ancient flower of life, inscribed on the walls of the Assyrian temple at Abydos in Egypt. I'll show you that a little bit later. The flower of life is a specific, regularly repeating pattern of circles rotating around a central point, and it contains a vast Akashic system of information. That's what stores the Akashic information. It's inside the flower of life symbol, which in my opinion is also what I call the face of God, including the templates for five platonic solids, key sacred shapes, which are the building blocks of creation. So to sum it up, the sacred geometric shapes forming the life begins as an ovum, or sphere, becomes a tetrahedron, then a star tetrahedron, then a cube, another sphere, and finally a torus. Metatron cube is also known to me as what was inside of the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, let's just take a quick look at this clip. Talk to me, doctor. Director. Is there anything we know for certain? Tesseract is misbehaving. Is that supposed to be funny? No, it's not funny at all. The Tesseract is not only active, she's behaving. I assume you pull the plug. She's an energy source. We turn off the power, she turns it back on. She reaches peak level. We're prepared for this, Doctor. Harnessing energy from space. We don't have the harness. My calculations are far from complete. She's throwing off interference, radiation. Nothing harmful, low levels of gamma radiation. That can be harmful. Where's Agent Bart? The hawk. Up in his nest, as usual. Agent Bart, report. I gave you this detail so you could keep a close eye on things. Two things that happened in that clip. He called the energy source, the other scientist, uh, he called it a she. She keeps the power on. She, uh, she, she, she. You know why? 
because as I talk about some of my previous uh, classes for other things, the energy source emanating out of the vesica piscis, which is part of the flower of life, is a feminine energy. The energy that comes out of the womb of creation is a feminine energy. It interacts with masculine energy for balance. But the energy that creates everything in this entire third dimension comes from a womb. Okay, that's very important to understand. What we've done as men is we've uh, taken control and dominated this planet, and we've suppressed and oppressed women and taken away the feminine divine, taken away the Sophia energy. And the evidence of this, if go, just go to Cairo. Who's been to Cairo? Everything is brown. There's only one color. There's no flowers and plants. There's garbage in the streets. Everything is dirty. Everything is filthy. There's dirt. There's, there's garbage dumped in the Nile. Okay? Uh, the canals are, are, are full of muck and dirt. And, uh, yeah, you know why? Because the women there are heavily, heavily oppressed. They can't even, all they can show is their eyeballs. That's it. And when I went to a register to buy some, some oils, the woman couldn't even look at me. She had to give me my change like this. That's how oppressed they are. So you see the removal of the feminine energy in that one little area, and you see what happens to the area. It becomes a gigantic bachelor pad. Okay? I mean, it is what it is. You have to have balance. There's a role for a man. There's a role for a woman. There's a role for these energies. We both emit energy, and there's no balance over there. And you can see it. So you can just imagine, you know, just extrapolate that. Back in the day, you know, with the temples and everything else, women weren't even allowed to go in the temple. They weren't allowed to go inside the churches. They weren't allowed to talk. They weren't allowed to vote. All the suppression and oppression, uh, putting down. Look at all the wars we have. You think we would have had all these wars if there were some female rulers and, and kings? Like back in the day, we had Queen Ty in, in the land of Kem. There was a peace and harmony at that time. That was King Tut's grandmother. And people were all into arts and theater and, and learning how to be in oneness with themselves. And that's when we got taken over, unfortunately, because we were so nice. <laughs> Somebody said, wait a minute, they too easy. <laughs> and, you know, Egypt was taken over seven times. It was, um, uh, you know, people don't know that seven times Egypt was conquered. But you look at it. What if the world was balanced more with feminine and masculine energies? Uh, I think we'd have a much different world. Right now, it's over male dominated, in my personal opinion. And because of that, the energy balance is off. And it's clear to see, very clear to see. That's just my take on it. Now, where does the energy source come from for these stargates? Energy source. So let's look at that. The energy source comes from the body as well. Scientists concluded that the average human body contains approximately 37.5 trillion cells. Each cell generates 0 0.07 volts of electricity. At 37.5 trillion cells, that's 2.63 trillion volts of electricity in one human body. You, each one of us is a walking nuclear explosion. Okay? That's in your body. 2.63 trillion volts of electricity. So, the power source is here. The memory source is here, Right? Uh, the, the ability for the quantum uh, mode, the quantum computing is also inside of us. Why? Because it's inside of our consciousness. We have built-in quantum computers. We have the ability to process qubits. The quantum computers we're developing now are being built to try to imitate human consciousness. The ability to be in superposition and have uh, our brains are multidimensional. We are, it's already been proven that our synapses uh, phase in and out of the third dimension randomly and they don't, they don't even know where they go. Well, they're going to other dimensions. That's where they're going.
Okay, just like gravity, gravity drops down from multiple dimensions before it gets to the third density, and that's why gravity is the weakest force in science. Because by the time it gets to us, it's been diluted. That's why you can take a very small magnet and pick it up with another magnet. You can pull against Earth's gravity with another magnet because gra gravity is the weakest force. Right now, the human body has enough power to create the energy needed to jump through a portal and open and hold open a stable portal as well. This is how you can have an, uh, a portal or a stargate somewhere that we're going to look at some of them that look like just plain rock. Where's the energy source, right? So we're quick. The DNA is composed of four elements, hydrogen, nitrogen, oxygen, carbon, and when put together form YHWG, carbon is what makes us a physical earthly being. When carbon is replaced with nitrogen, we have all colorless, colorless and odorless invisible gases, and they form the letters YH, also known as obviously YAH. This is encoded into your DNA. The name of God is encoded into your DNA. Okay. Uh, so this is this is a fact. I mean, this is nothing. You can't escape this. This is real science. <laughs> you know. So this is why how the name got into religious text. Since it's in the DNA, it's on the genetic level, meaning that we are gods. Literally, we are gods. The power of creation, the power of the divine energy, and the spark is inside of our bodies, just as it is in all of creation as well. And we have the capability of tapping into that. Another thing that they don't want you to know, so they keep you afraid of thinking you have power so that you can feel like you have to beg for help instead of understanding that the help comes from within. Um, now I want to show you a few of these. Right here we have the chariot. This is from Enlil from the Sumerian tablets. I'm not going to read the whole thing because I want to show you some of these other portals. But um, he basically says that he's going to build a stargate here to walk from one, one world to another. And the quote is, a chariot place I shall henceforth build from Nibiru to Earth directly to arrive. The way that they talked in the Sumerian tablets was always like Yoda. I think they took, I think they took the Yoda you know, dialect from the Sumerian tablets because they always talk in that reverse talk. But as you can see, he's talking about building this. Uh, first, he's talking about establishing a city in a circle and that radiates out in terms of the distance all the everything would be exactly the same distance away from each other and then he talks about building this chariot place uh called the duran key which allows human beings or these gods i guess these these anunnaki elites to walk directly back to their home planet this is a sumerian cylinder seal uh, i believe this one is in the uh let's see this this picture is taken the sumerian cylinder seal where's this located i think this is in the british museum but this is actually uh, Enlil. So you see the guards at the gate, and this is Enlil walking through a stargate. Okay? So these gates are always guarded, and this is Enlil. Enlil is the brother of Enki, uh, some of the very first of the Sumerian, or according to Sumerian mythology, the Anunnaki pantheon to arrive here on planet Earth. Their names are mentioned in the Enuma Elish and also the Atreasis epic, which predate a lot of uh, modern authors, including even Zacharias Hitchin. He wasn't even born when this stuff was translated. But uh, this is very ancient, uh, uh, ancient Sumerian cylinder scroll that was discovered in Iraq, along with over one million other scrolls and texts. And this depicts uh, one of these uh, Anunnaki gods walking through a stargate. Yeah, a million. Okay, gotcha. Uh, yeah, this is this is really amazing. I mean, there's so many of this. There's so much data and content, and we haven't even gone through a third of the the the, the, the tablets yet. <laughs> so much more to go. All right. So this is what I told you about earlier. This chariot place that they built, and um, this is Ninurta. This is another famous uh, image here. Ninurta is actually 
um, opening up a gate. And this is the nurture opening the gate here. So, and this is the relief in the British Museum shows the Sumerian god nurture in a gateway, which is a stargate, using his index finger to push something on the wall. He wears two wrist devices. The emblem around his neck matches the design of the king's Templar, the Knights Templar, I'm sorry. And it's also similar to the radiation symbol, obviously. Okay? So you see this cross in ancient times, long before the Christ even existed. This cross, which is also in Coptic Cairo, is represented many places throughout Cairo, but it also resembles the radiation symbol and the Knights Templar cross. And also, of course, Nibiru was known as the planet of the crossing in ancient texts. So it's really interesting. But you can see here that he appears to be um, entering this gate and these key pieces here showing, you know, and whatever is in his hand, you've, you've got to be able to access it through whatever kind of code or wherever he's pushing on. A lot of these gates that have been discovered uh, seem to have these little notches in them where something goes into them. So it's kind of interesting. This is the ziggurat of Ur in um, Iraq. Now, this picture, I have more pictures than this. I didn't want to show any of the soldiers' faces, but in the other, on my Facebook group, Enernike History, the pictures were given to me by an actual friend of mine who was part of this um, this group of soldiers. But um, for TV purposes, I chose the ones with them going up and only the tank. But if you go to Enernike History on Facebook, you'll see their faces and you'll see many more photos. When the 9-11 incident happened and we decided that we wanted revenge, we went straight to Iraq, obviously, in 2001. And where did we go? Straight to the Ziggurat of Ur. <laughs> and the Antiquities Museum. We went there. We blew the doors off the museum. We went inside and stole all the antiquities. Went into the deep cellar area where they had a lot of the real ancient stuff and stuff that talked about ancient technology. And we, being Americans, we took that stuff. Military. We went to the Ziggurat of Ur, and my a friend of mine was actually there when they went in. And this is what they came out with, this object. Okay? This is an old photo. I think it was this 1920-something, this photo of these two Arabs here with this, uh, with this stone circle, which kind of resembles a Stargate circle. Could the WMD be a Stargate? Is that what they were after? Could it be? This? Now... To throw people off in this modern time, they've taken this image and people have photoshopped into the image other things. When you go to the original source for this image, which you can actually use Google Images to search for the original source, you find out that the original image is this image, not anything added to it. So this is the original image right here. And in my personal opinion, the Ziggurat of Ur uh, mission was all about going to get a Stargate. They wanted to get Saddam Hussein was getting ready to open his own museum. And he was going to open it to the world and he was going to reveal the Stargate and all these other ancient technologies. And the Minister of Transportation for Iraq came forward three years ago and said that Iraq was the original birthplace for civilization and the first airport 6,000 years ago for technology for flying machines. And he went public with that. And you can look it up on Google. Also, this is taken from... Mike Barra's book, uh, if you don't know who Mike Barra is, he's on Ancient Aliens, he's a best-selling author. Uh, I enha <clears throat> enhanced this image from his book for him, and this is a ziggurat uh, from the Apollo 11 image frame, AS11-38-5564, which is an image from the moon, taken from the Apollo images. An unobfuscated, unblocked out, unblotched out image, and uh, this is a ziggurat on the actual moon. 
So could the ziggurat of Earth Stargate be, have been linked to a ziggurat Stargate uh, on the moon? Could it have been traveled back and forth? This is Enki's underwater portal. So at the bottom here, you see Enki. That's Enlil's brother. He's coming from a subwater base through this portal to come up and walk out on land. Enki walks out of the water onto land. This is also on display at the museum. And uh, Enki was also known to the Greeks as Poseidon. Okay, so Enki had many names, just like his brother had many names. His brother Enlil had the name of Yahweh. In the modern-day Bible, he's Yahweh. Um, he's also known in ancient texts as Satan, the Lord of Eden. And Enki is uh, known as Ptah, where you get the Ptah Noster in ancient Egypt. He's also known as um, Poseidon. And, of course, Enki. Earth is named after Enki. His name is E-R-N-K-I, E-A, then E-N-K-I. Ki is Earth. And E-R was his first two initials or part of his name. So that's how we got the name Earth from Enki. The Earth is actually named after him. So stargates always resemble water. So it's kind of interesting that he would be Poseidon in the control of water. And in the ancient Sumerian tablets, he said that he made his abode beneath the oceans. Okay. And uh, kind of a weird place to want to build your, your home. But that's where he lived. He lived underneath the oceans. He actually had some type of underwater base, and he would transfer himself up and down through this portal to get back to home. Ironically, when you think about it, could it be that these stargates, maybe he was just a matter master of portal technology because they always look like water. Just kind of a coincidence, I thought. So, of course, you know him as Poseidon. At the Great Pyramid at Giza, there's something called the Halls of Amenti. Now, the halls of Amenti can even be pulled up on Google uh, location, you know, Google Earth, Google Earth. You can use any. You can even go to Instagram, upload an image, and go to location and type in halls of Amenti, and you'll be able to get the location and tag it to your photo. The halls of Amenti is real. And, uh, of course, Thoth talked about it in ancient times, and um, he said that it was underneath the Great Pyramid, one of these portals. He would go down there, and he would have rejuvenation chambers in these rooms. And, and he would put his body in them, and then he would rejuvenate these bodies, and he would walk around in a different body and go back and get the other body that was rejuvenated and transfer his consciousness back and forth. Meanwhile, he would go through portals on the day and travel to other places. Well, these rooms were discovered. If you look underneath here, they discovered these archway rooms. They discovered hundreds of rooms that extend out about a mile underneath Giza. Yeah, they found them about a year and a half ago. They're in my book, Compendium of the Animal Tablets. They found the rooms. They're there exactly where Thoth said they were. The, um, if you look at the alignment of the pyramid with the shafts, there's shafts that open up on the Great Pyramid that then line directly up at certain times of the procession with the Sirius star system, Orion's belt, uh, Alpha uh, Draconis, and, uh, of course, uh, Ursa Minor. So... Basically, these shafts, in my personal opinion, were possibly used for two reasons. These could be the shafts that transmit communications to these other star systems because we know that the pyramid was using water to generate electricity for the aquifer that it was built on top of, but also what's in water? Hydrogen. If you look into science, you discover that the most widely used communication uh, can be sent or transmitted through hydrogen frequency. So because of that, right now, even right now in modern science, we're transmitting hydrogen frequencies into space to try to communicate with aliens if we could find them. So why wouldn't we, why wouldn't they have done it back then since they were much more advanced than us, send hydrogen frequencies through those shafts? Another thing could be uh, that we know that according to the ancient texts that the Great Pyramid was a portal generator. 
could it be that those were the destination points for them to get to? Those were their, you know, where they would go. Maybe they only had connecting gates on the other end of those places. Uh, when you look at the ancient um, text, which is what I'm going to be doing, a Chronicles of the Anunnaki uh, lecture for six hours at um, uh, Gaia Sphere, and that's going to be on April 25th this year. It's going to be an amazing event. I'm going to start off in the Pleiadian star system, and I'm going to come all the way forward into time. I'm going to talk about the galactic wars, planet destroyers, uh, uh, you know, people fleeing from planets and becoming space refugees and going to these star systems right here. And this is all based off of ancient text. It's based off of all the, you know, the cuneiform writing, the scriptures, indigenous histories and everything else. It's not based off anything off the top of my head. It's based off of actual history that we can get access to from hundreds of sources. And I paint a full picture for you. But these are the star systems that they ended up going to. It's really uh, amazing that then the Great Pyramid aligns with those same exact star systems. I'm standing up here on top of the... Uh, the Pyramid of Quetzalcoatl. Quetzalcoatl is also felt the Atlantean, same person, okay, in Mexico. And these are gigantic Atlantean Toltecs. And uh, if you look, take a close-up of these or look them up on Google, you'll see that they're holding weapons in their hands and everything else, and they have on what appears to be some type of technological suit. But I'm standing on top of the pyramid. Underneath the pyramid uh, is the place where he actually had a room that he actually lived in for a period of time, which is pretty amazing. And behind it, there's an actual stargate that he would step into. Um, Thoth's uh, quote here, and we're almost wrapping it up here in a few minutes. Deep in Earth's heart lie the halls of Amenti, far beneath the island of the sunken Atlantis, halls of the dead and halls of the living, bathed in the fire of the infinite all. Far in a past time, lost in the space-time, the children of light looked down on the world, seeing the children of men in their bondage, bound by the force that came from beyond. Knew they that only by freedom from bondage could man have arise from the earth to the sun. Down they descended and created bodies, taking the semblance of men as their own. The masters of everything said after their forming, we are they who formed from the space dust, partaking of life from the infinite all. Living in the world as children of men, like and yet unlike the children of men. So they basically, um, he's talking about the ability they had to clone bodies, to make their own bodies. They didn't inhabit other people's bodies. They used their own avatar clones, and they would inhabit them through transfer of consciousness, and they would walk amongst men, but obviously unlike a man because they're really avatar clone people. But they came here, this particular entity, Thoth, to mostly help human beings. He had plenty of opportunity to masquerade as a god, and he never did. He decided to call himself a son of Atlantis and not a god like some of his relatives did. And he would teach human beings all over the planet different building techniques, languages, alchemy, chemistry, mathematics, and everything else, all the sciences. And I'm sure you guys have seen this before. You can see that China, Mexico, and Egypt have the same alignment of pyramids that align with Orion's belt, most likely, in my opinion, meaning that they're linking with the stargates uh, to transfer back and forth. This is a Peruvian stargate. It has a huge, mysterious door-like structure that was discovered in Hayumarca Mountain region in southern Peru. And a lot of the stargates have this little door-like opening on these rocks that have this little hole in it. You see a little hole right there, right? And something goes in that hole, and what archaeologists were saying was that they, some kind of circular disc goes inside that and fits in it. Um, there's a legend that tells of a time when a Spanish conquistador arrived in Peru. Uh, he looted, was looting for gold and precious stones. He basically stumbled across this um, this doorway, and somehow it opened into a portal. And that was recorded through time. It became history, okay? And he's not the only one. This has happened a few more times 
documented. Even people in more modern times have opened up some of these gates and gone through them. And some people never came back, never came back. You can look it up. The Aborigines believe that the Uluru is one of the original creations from their ancestors. And there may be petroglyphs found on the large rock devoted to dream time. This is what they call our world, dream time. They call it artificial, artificial construct. By touching the rock, Aboriginal people believe that they can communicate with their ancestors and the dream time. And this rock is also known as a Aboriginal stargate. Okay, so this is another portal in Australia. And Urulu, ironically, is the same place that Thoth talks about in the Emerald Tablets. Uh, <laughs> Uluru, right. So it's very similar. So it's like, wow. Now, the Emerald Tablets, 36,000 years ago, this, the Aborigines claim to have been seated on this planet. The Aboriginal elders handed down history that they were brought here by the Pleiadians and seated on this planet and that they were the very first people on this planet. Lord Shiva, Stargate at CERN. So if you know anything from ancient history, Lord Shiva used to go through portals, okay? And Lord Shiva was an Indian god that still was a part of this Atlantean culture, this, this uh, interplanetary uh, species or race of people that lived here. And this is a symbol for the portal for Lord Shiva uh, that this particular entity would walk through. And it's ironic that at CERN, where we talked about creating the black holes and all that, they have it right outside. That's the front of CERN, the, the building to go into where they have the Atom Smasher. They have a gigantic Lord Shiva right at the front, kind of alluding to the fact that they're working on making stargates and portals is what they're doing. Yeah. This is the Aztec calendar on the left, and that's the CERN Atom Smasher on the other side, on the right. Kind of look very similar, doesn't it? I mean, I, I just thought it was kind of ironic. But as you can see here, no matter where you go on the planet, you're going to find this stargate symbol all over the planet and um, you know, everywhere. They're all over the place. This symbol can be found all over the world. No matter where you go, you're gonna find these Stargate symbols. And you're gonna find the same, of course, design. And as you see at the very bottom, the Stargate symbol and the triptych design with a three window design, symbolizing the gates, transferring from one place to another or one dimension to the next. So unfortunately guys, we ran out of, little, ran out of time um, there were a couple more images I wanted to show, but we're out of time right now. I do have some books here, a few books left if you want to get them. Thank you for coming out. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. to bed early so it's for me it's the evening so um okay so i want to get started with you guys i want to tell you a little bit about um what it is that i do and i also want to give you um three tips about connecting with loved ones um based on you know things that i've learned that people struggle with misconceptions that people have um tell you a little bit about me and then the rest of the time i'm just going to spend time doing uh readings and um just picking up um picking people um that you know would like a reading and see what comes through for them and stuff okay so um and what i am going to do also is i'm going to pass around this notebook 
And if you could just throw your email address in there, I'm going to send you a free um, a free gift. Um, it's actually an MP3 um, of a meditation that I have that's in my voice, and it's for you to connect with your loved ones. I'm also going to pick one person to get a uh, short session with me. Um, so if you want to put your email, put the pen in where it um, to start. Just put your email address down, and then I will um, send you your free gift, and you can just kind of pass that around so um you just kind of and you don't have to um don't waste your time putting like your name or anything i just need your email address so don't don't um and i will if it's okay with you i will add your email to my newsletter so if you don't want that then just just don't throw your email down there so um okay so and following this also, um, right at 1.30 when we wrap up here, um, I am going to have a uh, book signing. Um, some people would come, were coming up to me asking about it, uh, copies of my book. So I did bring some copies of my book, and I will be there. It's just down the hall in the four-way, so um, you can you can kind of find where I'm going to be. I'm going to be there for a little bit after this if you'd like to join me. So. So I want to tell you a little bit about me, and then I want to kind of give you, like I said, three practical tips, and then I also want to just kind of get right into the readings and stuff. So um, my work is really focused on mediumship, evidential mediumship, which is me um, opening myself up as a recipient and as a channel to receiving messages from loved ones, okay, so people that have passed away. Um, that want to communicate with you. And oftentimes these are people that you were close to. Um, they could be friends, family members. Um, I even do pick up messages from people's um, um, pets, dogs, cats, um, other pets, I guess, too, but um, not as common. Um, but my focus is really on mediumship and connecting with the spirit world in that way. Um I also work psychically with people and work with people's energy. So basically, as we're all here, you know, we all see everybody sees everybody's physical body, but I can also see the energy body. I can see your aura, um, things like that. And I use that ability to perceive those things to give guidance and insight about past, present, future. But in the last five years, my work has really become a little bit more focused on the mediumship. So, and that's what I teach about, and I really teach people people how to communicate with your loved ones, how to make that a two-way conversation, how to enhance the connection that we all have. Um, so because what I tell people in my workshops and in my events and my readings is everybody is a medium. You don't need to go and see a medium to speak with your loved ones. I usually tell people that after they've paid for their sessions. But um, just to, be, um, to, to tell you that is that everybody has that real connection. Now, all kidding aside, you know, there is just the experience of allowing, you know, having a medium work with you. We all need a little help, guidance, experts, and to help us, you know, um, it's just like when we're focusing on our physical fitness, right? We might, it's very important, our own commitment to that and the things that we do in our daily life, but you also might work with a you know, dietitian or a health coach or a personal trainer, those people are there to kind of help and aid in the connection and kind of make it go a little bit deeper. But so that's really what my work as a medium is when people come to me, it's for them to receive a session of communicating with their loved ones. Um, and you'll see that happen here today when I bring through 
messages from loved ones. So I actually have had this ability um, basically since I was born. So I don't really have any recollection of not having this. I've always had this ability. I believe I was born this way. And like I said, we all have it in us to an extent, just it matters how much we open up to it or how much we trust it. And we'll talk about that in a little bit um, before we get into the readings. But I, I was basically born this way. And um, nobody in my family had any sort of connection with this. So it wasn't like I grew up in a family where people talked about psychics or mediums. Um, I grew up in a very traditional sort of conservative Irish Catholic, you know, um, type of the family. I always jokingly say I grew up in a town called Plainville. So you can imagine what that was like, you know, so basically, um, you know, this wasn't something that was talked about. People didn't, you know, I had no, never heard the word psychic or medium and everybody has different paths to this, you know, so, but my path was such that, you know, I didn't, didn't have that. And, um, what was interesting is, is as I began to share these impressions, these visitations, mostly around my grandfather, who was visiting me, who I never knew in life. Um, and he was visiting me and giving me messages to give to my, you know, relatives and especially my mom and dad. And, um, this was very scary for my family. They thought, you know, especially, you know, my parents, I mean, they thought that something was wrong with me. They did not understand this. They had no context to sort of put it in. And basically, you know, um, the, the family that I grew up in, it wasn't like a supportive environment for this type of thing. And um, it was even to the point where, you know, it would make my dad angry and he would become violent. And it was, it was kind of like a very unsafe place to grow up. So by the time I was six or seven years old, I really learned that, well, I can't talk about this because there's no way for me to, you know, every time I talk about it, there's screaming, there's fighting, there's arguing. So I kind of shut it off. That's not to say I didn't have those experiences still because I did, but I just chose to not share them. And this is kind of one of those things where, the more you do foster the connection with the spirit world, the more it enhances and it does kind of build on that. So if you really are not really kind of focusing on tuning it out, you're not going to really, it's not going to develop as strongly as it would for, you know, if you, if you practice with it. So it really kind of did dim for me. Um, and I never thought, you know, when I was, you know, going through my life that I was going to be a psychic or a medium or anything. It wasn't even in my language of thinking. And so that was kind of how my life was. And then I ended up um, graduating from high school and I was on a, you know, went to college and went to the University of Chicago and I was um, studying pre-med and I was on this whole other path in life. And, um, I started to uh, become more just aware of myself, things that I wanted to develop in myself, uh, who I was as a person, my personal beliefs, things like that. And this was a part of myself that I, I sort of felt like maybe I should deal with this a little bit. Maybe I need to understand this more. Felt like it continued to kind of come up and stuff. And so basically what happened for me um, is that I started to take um, – just little things like I would take meditation workshops, just kind of dabbling in things. And I still was not really, and I also, I wanted to really see, is this a real thing? You know, and I, I started to kind of read books about it, but again, never, never really pursuing it at all. And it basically was to the point where it was still very overwhelming to me. And it's interesting because I feel like 
this, I get so many questions from people that say, you know, I feel like I'm supposed to have, I, I have gifts, you know, how do I develop them? How do I know if I'm supposed to develop them? And I always kind of jokingly say, you know, the spirit world, um, they're kind of like the mafia. Um, if they want to recruit you in, you will not really have a choice in the matter. <laughs> so they will basically, you know, these doors will continue to open for you. And it was like me, I'm probably the prime example. I did everything in my human power to run the opposite direction from Dallas. I went to the most atheist school um, for college. I was on a pre-med track. Um, I did every profession possible between 21 and 24 to develop in other areas. I was in research departments. I worked at Yale University for a year and a half, actually, doing um, neuroscience research. I worked in restaurants. I worked in bars. I worked in um, nightclubs. Um, I was actually a drag queen for a year, believe it or not. So, um, I know it's, it's, I, I haven't, I haven't dabbled in that in a while, but, um, so I basically was pursuing anything humanly possible to not develop my good. And this still opened up for me. Um, and the reason is, is, you know, and obviously it's not in everybody's path or destiny or purpose to be a medium or to be a, an intuitive or anything like that. But we all have gifts to develop. And I think the moral of the story is, is I think one thing for me that I learned is that I have a whole team of people that want to support me in developing this. You know, I have my angels. I have my ancestors, my guides, my spirit guides, my loved ones in spirit. And they are your team to help you and to develop this. So just know that, that even if you, you know, you're in a relationship and your partner's like, well, I don't know about any of that, or you can't find like-minded people, or just know that we all have a team and you're always being divinely guided. And so at eventual point, I mean, I started to kind of dabble and get readings myself and I would get this recurring message. That's another thing with the spirit world. They will continue to send that message through until you hear it. And I got told so many times, you're supposed to, do this work you're supposed to be and so i just over time kept getting led to okay this is you know this is what i'm supposed to do so i want to give you guys um for your own um path of connecting with loved ones because I, I i would imagine that like i said that's kind of my focus and i imagine I, a lot of people have questions about their own loved ones how can they connect with their loved ones how do they know if they're receiving a message from a loved one um dreams signs feeling their loved ones around they don't feel their loved ones around how come they don't um you know all these various you know questions that get asked to me so there's kind of three things and i could probably give you 20 but i decided to keep it brief so I came up with three things that can really help you to think about, and these you can kind of translate these into little tips to make a deeper connection with your loved ones. Like I said, we all have loved ones in spirit, guides, um, but I'm talking about loved ones, you know, are, are, you know, people that are, you know, we had a relationship with here, even people that we didn't know here. There might be people here in the audience that didn't know their family. Uh, maybe they didn't know their biological family, things like that. Those people can still be connected to us. So one tip and one thing is, I find is don't, do not compare your experience with your loved ones to other people's. 
because I have this happen a lot where people will say, well, so-and-so, you know, she always gets this type of dream or, you know, my friend, so-and-so, she gets pennies all the time from her husband. Just know that the communication between our loved ones and you is unique to every relationship. So you're not going to have the same experience that somebody else may have. Your communications may be differently. It may be through your thoughts. It may be through just through a feeling. So just never, you know, it's always interesting to hear about experiences, but don't compare in that way. Don't make it that, you know, well, you, you're not getting that because by doing that, you're really shutting down the communication and you're really make you're really limiting the potential for the loved one to communicate in the way that they choose and the way that they want to um, communicate with you. So that would be that would be one thing. The second thing I would tell you is that's really important is to be available to the spirit world. OK, you need to be available and to have this relationship. OK, we live in a world where there's constant distraction. You know, we're constantly distracted by technology, by this, by that, by, you know, just the demands of our society that we live in. And we're here trying to have this physical body existence. And sometimes it gets very distracting. And sometimes it's hard for those loved ones in spirit that are on this higher vibration to come through but you need to be available you also by being available you need to understand that the way people connect with us in the spiritual world can and will often be different than how they communicated and connect with us here for example okay um you know my dad, for example, passed away a few months ago. I was not close to him. Um, I didn't speak to him for the last 15, 20 years of his life. Um, and he, he, he was not a good person in life. He died alone in a prison cell in Massachusetts and nobody had ever, we hadn't talked to him in 15 or 20 years. Since he's gone to the spirit world, he has come through in so many different ways. Um, I've gotten countless messages from him. Um, my friends who are mediums are like, okay, your dad's contacting me now. Um, it's interesting. He's more present now than he was when he was here. <laughs> and what you need to understand is that does happen. Okay. That does happen. So when I read for somebody and somebody's like, well, I don't really, you know, that person, I didn't like them here. Just know that they're stepping forward and coming through and it doesn't take away the pain of the situation. It doesn't take away the sadness or the, what could have been in that relationship in the physical world, but just know that there is the potential for growth and evolution on the other side. People just don't stay and they're stagnant you know, energy that they were here, they grow, they learn, they evolve. That's the point of going to the other side. So you need to be open to that in order to communicate and connect with those who want to come through to you and want to connect with you. You need to understand that that relationship can shift and change. But like I said, be available, um, meditation, prayer, um, asking your loved ones to be with you, being open to signs and symbols. If your energy is very chaotic and sort of, you know, it is going to sort of repel your loved ones to connect with you. Okay. Um, so, so that, like I said, don't compare, be available. And then the third thing is, is also have faith. And what I mean by this is, um, 
it's very easy, even for the most, I assume by everybody, you know, being here, you probably are very open-minded people. Um, you probably are believers in this type of thing, or most of you are, you know, you're probably more open-minded than the average group that I talk in front of. Um, that being said, okay, you need to understand that we all have a natural skepticism, a natural mindset that we can kind of slip into. And it's really, really important that, I mean, I do this work for a living and sometimes I second guess myself. Sometimes I question myself. Sometimes I think about, okay, is this, is this, is this in my imagination or is this real? So just know when you're connecting with your loved ones, when you're on this path, you're going to have those moments of doubting yourself. You're going to have those moments of, well, I don't really know if these people are really, you know, are they really still connecting me? Is this in my mind? Is this in my imagination? You're going to have those natural doubts. So what I would say is try to have faith though. Try to keep yourself open in your heart chakra area. Try to Try to just be open because there's that gravitational pull of the energy of the world that's going to try to pull you back to the mindset of being a little bit more closed. That's going to happen all the time. I have this happen a lot when I do readings for people. People will have an hour reading. They feel like they've gotten a lot of clarity, guidance, insight. They feel very connected to their loved ones. They feel like they're on the right path. They feel lighter they go back out in a couple weeks they're off their path again you know they they start to question things things so you have to it's your job and your energy to hold that vibration and to really hold that and and keep that up there okay so we're going to get started with some readings and basically we'll do that the rest of the time together so i'm going to tell you a little bit about how it is that i read and then what we'll do is we'll set an intention and then we will connect with um we'll we'll start to bring things through so what's going to happen here in a second is I'm going to open myself up to the spirit world and I'm going to ask them to sort of step forward and I'm going to ask them to sort of be with us here and I'm going to ask them to identify themselves and bring through messages, okay? In the interest of time, this is not going to be like a private reading for you. It's going to be a message and then I'm going to move on to the next person because I'd like to get through several people rather than one person. So just know if I kind of leave you, if I shift from you, I could even maybe come back to you. Um, the other thing is, is please listen and validate the information. So for example, um, oh, was that a little cat that walked by? What was that? Oh, a dog. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I was like, am I already seeing dead things? Okay. So, um, <laughs> that's fine. Okay, good. So, anyways. Um, so, <laughs> so, when I'm connecting and when I'm seeing things, I'm going to, like I said, I'll make a connection. I'll move on. The biggest thing that I can tell you is, is take a deep breath, relax, and just please, for the interest of everybody here, if you recognize the information and it really resonates and you and I say five things and you can take definitely four of them and maybe the fifth, please let me know because we, 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 we want to make these connections. The other thing is, is um, so we and, and I need to know where I am with this. A lot of times I will know exactly in the room where I am. I may not, though. So just. Listen, hear the information, and if you can validate it, please let a, let me know because that way we can make the connection and go forward. It's always kind of 
it, 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 you know, when people just kind of like, I don't know what it is, they get scared or nervous, but it's like I'm saying things and it's clearly their loved one and they're looking at me like I've just landed like a, a spaceship in the middle of the room. And I'm like, I don't understand it because you came here to talk to dead people. So that that is what is going on here. And so um, that's what we're here to do. So um, so unless you're in the wrong you know room or something, um, this is what's going on here. So these messages that come through. There's always going to be one or two things that you might not be able to take, but you should be able to take the primary part of the reading, okay? The other thing I want to tell you, too, is when I'm delivering a message, on the flip side of it, I know it's kind of like, you know, everybody wants a message. Try to not, we can't make things work, okay? We can't have dead women become dead men. We can't have fathers become your great uncle's neighbor's cat. Um, that's not it. So we have to really stick with the information that's come through. So if I say I've got a mother figure coming through, and this is her name, and this is what she did, then that's what it has to be. We can't say, well, that wasn't my mother. It was my neighbor. You know, that's not what we're connecting with here. So just really listen through the information, really hear the things, and we'll try to validate things and get the messages and move on to the next person. Okay. So I'd like everybody, let's kind of set a little intention here in the room. So let's have everybody close their eyes and take a couple deep breaths. Uh, bring yourself to a peaceful place. Relax. Now's a great time to take a couple deep breaths. Again, relax. Okay, so I'd like you to bring yourself to a peaceful place. This can be a place that's real or imagined, but really bring yourself into a peaceful place. And when you're in this peaceful place, invite in those in spirit that you'd like to connect to. Okay, so maybe there's a loved one, maybe you're going through a situation and you, you need guidance on it. Now's a great time to kind of just put that out there. Again, take a deep breath in. Okay. Let's have a good thought for everybody here that people hear from who they need to hear from. Okay. And when you're ready, you can come back here into the room. Okay, so we're going to get started. We do have that second microphone, right? We can. Okay, great. So she, this lady will come through, and she'll bring the microphone to you as um, as I make a connection. So I have three people coming through, and what I kind of feel like is first one we link in with, we'll do that, and then I'll go to the next two people after that. Okay, so I want to just say first off is I have a very strong connection. Um, I believe this is somebody's husband as I'm connecting with this person. Um, I want to put this in the realm of, of husband, you know, could be fiance, boyfriend. It's somebody that is a relationship person that's coming through male energy. When I'm connecting with this person also, I want to say I'm hearing, I, I think I'm hearing the name Marsha. Okay, Marsha, Marsha, I keep hearing that. I felt like maybe this is who this person's trying to contact. You're already raising your hand. No, my name's Marcia, but a lot of people call me Marcia. Is your husband passed? 
come down here, please, because I can get more validations and then we can see. Could very much be for you. You could stay in your seat, dear. Okay. Yep. Um, so hold on one second because I'm not sure if I'm with you just yet, but it kind of feels like there could be something. Hold on one second. Okay. I also want to say to you, can you um, can you connect with the Father and Spirit that's showing me Christmas, December? There's a birthday or anniversary has to do with December. I feel like this is yes. Yeah, speaking to the mic, dear. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, um, and you can is this your father? Because I feel your dad's coming through and showing me December, December, Christmas. Does that make sense? Yes, my dad died the day after Christmas. Okay. So I feel this is his way of coming through. I want to work on the energy a little bit, but I feel like this is dad and then also your husband. So hold on one second. So your husband is showing me. A tremendous amount of confusion in his mind prior to his passing. He wants to give me the feeling of either Alzheimer's or dementia. Do you understand? Yeah, he had dementia. Okay. This is how he's coming through to me. And he wants you to know that where he's at in the spirit world, he know, he doesn't have that anymore. He doesn't have that anymore. And he's actually talking about you very much being a caretaker for him, taking care of him. He wants to just send appreciation to you for this. So did, did you sort of take care of him prior to his passing? Were you taking care of him? Yeah, I took care of him at home for eight years. Okay. So he just wants to validate that, and I feel like he's bringing through just gratitude. Uh, but he wants to talk about also, this is another thing I'm hearing, he wants to talk about being with you in your physical life, even though you guys are separated. So he's letting me know to tell you, even though he's in spirit and you're in the physical world, he's still very much connected to you. How do you connect to the trip to Arizona? Well, I just got back from there. Okay, so he's, he's again, he's probably just saying, I'm with you. I'm Like I said, he's talking about, like I said, the message was, I want you to know that even though I'm in the physical world, I still am connected to you. In, 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 you know, even though I'm in the spirit world, I'm still connected to your life in the physical world. He's also talking about a period of misdiagnosis prior to his illness. So I feel like there must have been things where we weren't quite sure what was going on. Um, he's talking about being fatigued, being sleepy, think, you know, like kind of like you knew something was different, but you didn't know specifically what was wrong with him. And then it kind of got to this place. But that's what he showed me. Does that make sense to you? Oh, yeah. He slept all the time, you know, right. years before he was diagnosed. Right. Because he's also shown he's kind of shown me, you know, some of this, who knows, may have been starting to develop in his body and things like that. I want to talk about this also as I'm connecting with this. And like I said, it's very possible you may not understand everything, but you're, you're, you're doing a great job so far. Um, I do want to talk about the multiple military branches connected to one person. So I want to say some, it's like, I almost feel like this is coming through from dad. Um, but I want to talk, I definitely want to bring through military stuff with your father, but I want to talk about, did he serve in like, I don't know. Did yeah, he, he was in the Navy and the Air Force. Okay. This is the way he's coming through to kind of, but I want to say he's actually a spirit that I feel is he's very protective of you. Um, he watches over you a lot. Um, I, I feel both of these gentlemen really do. I just want to tell you too, because they are telling me this, they're communicating to me that there's just been a lot of 
um, you know, the last couple years have really not been easy for you. And I feel like they're talking about just, you know, you're adjusting with things, you're, you know, and I just want you to know that in the spirit world, um, there's a tremendous amount of pride from your husband and from your father that they really want to um, say to you, you know, um, you're doing a good job. You're doing a good, we know it's not easy all the time, but you are doing a good job. Hold on one second. Um, can I tell you when I'm connecting here also, I'm not really good with breeds, but there's just a couple more thing here. There is a larger dog with your husband. So did you guys have a large black dog? Yes, okay. yeah, we did. Australian Shepherd. Okay. Cause I see a large, a large black dog with, with your husband. And I just want to tell you, this came through to me and it's almost like, I feel if you don't connect with it, it's okay. It could be, but I, I, I don't know why I'm seeing your husband keeps showing me the movie Shrek. I don't know why. Is there a reason? Did he like that movie or does it mean something to you? No, not really. Okay. So uh, for some reason I'm seeing that green, you know, that Shrek guy. Um, so I'm not really sure, you know, again, it's sometimes the information comes through so fast and it could be something that you could make sense of later or something like that. So just put that away. I feel like so many other things you connected with that make sense. I'm watch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So I just want to say, though, but you're, yeah, I want to talk about this, too. Can you take this with your husband that he's talking about new friends in your life? Are you trying to make, like, new friends, new connect, or reconnecting with old friends? Does that make sense to no, you? I'm trying to make a lot of new friends. New friends, yeah. So I just want to say, because he's, he's talking about, how much time and energy was spent with this so I want to say when I'm connecting with him he's letting me know that you know he's um he's you know he, he he's allow you know we have our own free will and our own path that we need to deal with but I want to say he's telling me that you know thing like he's allowing he's kind of trying to guide you toward not allowing that's not really the right word but he's trying to guide you toward those opportunities guide you towards people that you can connect with people that you can trust because i feel like you know he wants this for you so um okay so that was that that feels um that i got i got that thank you very much let's everybody give her a round of applause because that was very nice and that was kind of um she was the first person let's just move real quick because i want to just bring can i ask you um as i'm connecting with you do you have the brother and spirit because i don't think I, do, your brother isn't past here is he back with you no, I, don't yeah. I don't have any yeah see, i see i kind of thought maybe i was leaving you so that that was that kind of made me feel like i'm leaving you okay hold on one second so i've got two brothers coming through they're not for the same person though but there are two brother energies and a lot of times parallel people they'll come through together so we got to find kind of both these if we find one we'll go we'll go with that and then we'll kind of go to the next person so um i have a brother that's coming through that had a tremendous difficulty walking at the end of his life um, I almost wanted to say I feel with this man that he had um, maybe like Parkinson's or, or maybe something like an almost like a neurobiological thing where he couldn't he couldn't really walk. Um, I know that his walking was very limited. And then I have another gentleman that I want to link. Uh, I think I want to link this person 
in this sort of middle section here. So let's just go back there one second. Now we got another person's brother coming through. I just, I do feel like I know I'm towards the back with this guy. Um, so I've got another person's brother. I think this gentleman died with a heart attack. It, well, could be, could be this, I don't know. But I'm, let me just see here. John, John, yes, dear. Do you have John? Okay. Do you have the brother though? Yes. Okay, perfect. So, but this, I don't, you weren't the person I was getting with the neuro, neurobiological thing. No. That maybe could be for you guys. Okay, and you guys are kind of sitting near each other. So let's do you, and then since we're already with you, if we are with you, it feels like we are, and then we'll do the next person. So, okay, so, um, interesting. Okay, and I want to just say as I'm here too, I'm aware of also, um, I'm just going to stay with what, yeah, let's just stay with this. Okay. So, um, did your brother have heart issues? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, cause I'm getting like, there was like an, either like an obstruction in the heart or he had heart issues. Okay. Hold on one second. Would you understand him talking about a family of three? Yes. Okay. Because he's talking about a family of three. I don't know if this means your, you guys are one of three. Yes. But he's talking about a family of three. Yeah. Hold on one second. I, um, there's a second man coming in. Yes. So I don't know who this person is, but there's a second man. You know, I think maybe the reason I went to you is because of a husband. Yes. Okay. And there's, I have a lot of things that okay, uh, yeah. resonate. So with sometimes them. there's a parallel thing. I have to tell you, there's always themes when I do this. Mm -hmm. So there are, for some reason, a lot of, which is kind of unusual, a lot of significant others here. So her, yours, there is another one that I'm aware of, too, that I'm going to want to connect with at some point soon. That'd probably be my next reading. So just... I want you to know there's somebody else. There's another significant person here too that I'm getting. Um, a, a lover, a husband, husband. Yeah, this person's a husband. So I've got your husband, and then we've got this other woman's husband that I'm not going to put with you because not your husband. Um, <laughs> um, so.